Welcome to the Hollywood in Toto podcast, the right take on entertainment. The hit cast offers a weekly look at Hollywood from a conservative point of view. Sick of media bias infecting Hollywood headlines? Tired of stars insulting your views? Hit has your back. Now, here's your host, Christian Toto. Welcome to episode 75 of the Hollywood and Toto podcast, The Right Take on Entertainment. This week we're speaking with Baltazar Komikar, director of the new movie Adrift with Shailene Woodley. He's no stranger to tough shoots, but man, creating this open water saga sounds downright scary. This week's show is sponsored by The C Word, a curse confirming the very worst of Hollywood hypocrisy. Before our conversation with Baltazar, I want to say more about that C Word. And of course, I'm not going to say the word itself. We don't traffic in profanity here at the HitCast, but... Its use this week really confirmed a lot of unpleasant narratives that we've had about Hollywood. For starters, let's give the backstory here. Samantha B., the host of Full Frontal on TBS, was doing her usual shtick on Wednesday this week, and she decided to attack Ivanka Trump, the first daughter. Remember when first daughters are off limits? Well, no more, apparently. She called Ivanka Trump a feckless C-word, and then it, it suggested that she sexually hypnotize President Trump to do her bidding, and of course her bidding is what Samantha Bee's bidding is, is to have a more open borders policy along the U.S. border with Mexico. Now, you could argue back and forth about the border policy. You can also argue back and forth about what was done during the Obama administration, which a lot of liberals seem to conveniently forget. But the bottom line is that is one of the nastiest comments ever heard about a political figure. And also, just for some context here, They didn't bleep out that particular C-word. They said it. And this is on TBS. Now, certain broadcast channels have a little bit more flexibility. HBO, you can kind of say whatever you want. On FX, AMC, and some of the other sort of quasi-elite channels that aren't pay-per-view but also are part of the system, you can say the S-word, maybe even an F-bomb now and then. But generally speaking, the C-word is a a non-starter. But you know what? I think TBS wanted to have that word out there. I think the show wanted to have that word out there because if they believed it, maybe people would say, I didn't think that she was using the C word. I thought she was using maybe an F-bomb. They made a conscious choice to put it in the script, to put it in the teleprompter, and to let it go over the show. And this is a once-a-week show now. This isn't like a fly-by-night, every-night, running-by-the-seat-of-your-pants situation. This is something where a lot of planning goes into it, so... Don't be surprised when we hear more information about how this actually went on over the airways. But having said that, what happened next? Well, not a heck of a lot. Samantha B. did offer an apology on Twitter, even though like a day or so later, she sort of kind of apologized for apologizing at an event to pick up an award for her social change work. Imagine that. Also, TBS said, well, thanks for the apology. We regret it too, but, you know, life goes on a giant shoulder shrug. Now, a couple of advertisers so far have pulled their ads from the show. Will that cause an influx of people doing the same? It's too soon to tell, but I I suspect those two are the one-and-done situations where we won't get a lot more. So the show goes on, and so does the intense, unbelievable double standards circling around Hollywood. Now, it's amazing that all of this took place just days after Roseanne Barr was fired by ABC from her really big hit sitcom, for sharing a really ugly tweet about Valerie Jarrett, formerly of the Obama administration. There is no defense for that tweet. It was ugly. It was racially charged, period. This isn't one of those cases where a tweet was, well, you can look at it this way, or maybe they're trying to interpret it as a racially charged one. Oh, no, it was ugly to the core. 
And uh, while I don't necessarily agree with anyone being fired for a single tweet, you can understand where ABC was coming from. I have no problem with their decision. And I'm sure it was a very tough one because they're going to lose a lot of money by letting that Roseanne show go. But Roseanne does what she does. She apologizes immediately. It was a tweet, which, as we all know, can be done spur of the moment and sometimes doesn't reflect our true best selves. Now compare that to a show which scripts out its monologue, which has a whole team of writers working on it, which has an entire cast and crew behind the scenes making it happen. Apples and oranges. One performer got fired. One got the tiniest, most gentle slap on the wrist. Another problem here, the media. Of course the media. Liberal bias is alive and well and getting worse by the day. A lot of media outlets either cheered on the comment silently cheered it on, or maybe just said, hey, look at the context. I mean, she was talking about immigration. Why are we ignoring that? Well, you know what? I don't think anyone said that about Roseanne and her tweet at the time. It's all the way the media works now. And this part, I have to say, truly caught me by surprise, Hollywood's reaction. Now, I have a list on my Twitter account where I have a whole bunch of famous people on Twitter. Just what I do, kind of like to check on now and then just to see Get the pulse of what the sense of what Hollywood is talking about at any given moment. So after this whole brouhaha with Samantha Bee went down, I said, let me see what Hollywood is thinking or saying. And I thought, guarantee they say nothing because, well, you can't really support what she said. It's pretty darn ugly and vile. By the same token, you know they're going to maybe stay silent because they don't want to kind of throw dirt under on Samantha Bee. She's a liberal hero. They love her show. She speaks to the truths of power. She's constantly attacking the Trump administration. They're not going to go there. So I thought silence was their best option. But no, they weren't silent at all. Stars like Joss Whedon, who's just absolutely toxic on Twitter, many driver Sally Field, essentially doubled down on what Samantha Bee said toward Ivanka Trump. Now, again, this isn't Donald Trump who can be abrasive, can be cruel, can be cutting, can be very unkind. We've seen that for the last two years. This is Ivanka Trump, his daughter. She does not deserve the ire that her father gets, period. But you know what? Hollywood, the wokest of the woke, the front line of modern feminism, couldn't wait to defend Samantha Bee, and what's worse, double down on the slur. And there you have it. Everything we expected from the incident became true, and even more, and that's the real sad part. And I have to say, as someone who covers Hollywood, who loves Hollywood content for many, many years, and who wants to celebrate the best of the best from this industry, it's getting really hard to do so and ignore all these really vile players in the field. Don't touch that dial. You're listening to my daddy's podcast. Here's the celebrity tweet of the week. This week's winner is Amber Tamlin. The actress heard about the hullabaloo over Samantha Bee's vile attack on the first daughter and whipped up this response. Good morning. Samantha Bee is a national treasure and one of the only exemplifications women have of anger in this country. She is our catharsis, mirroring our outrage. Comparing her words to that of Roseanne Barr, a complacent, bigoted, her words, is like comparing apples to rotten fruit. Spewing hate on a low-rated TV show makes one a national treasure? I think the bar has been lowered. You're listening to the Hollywood in Toto podcast. The right take on entertainment. My hit tip of the week is Blue Jasmine. Woody Allen went from a legend to possible show business pariah based on what he's alleged to have done to one of his children. 
it's too complicated to get into here. There's a lot of stuff written about it across the web, some of it recently. But what's clear is that his recent work just isn't as good as his old stuff. I couldn't even get through that Amazon Prime series. I forget the title. I want to forget exactly what I saw. It was atrocious. And movies like the most recent Alan film, Wonder Wheel, they just felt creaky, unnecessary. He clearly has lost something off his fastball. Hopefully he's got a few good movies left in him. We shall see. But right now, the last couple have been really forgettable. But you know what? Four years ago, he got it just right again. Blue Jasmine stars Kate Blanchett as a woman who's a socialite, an upper, upper achiever kind of a person, but she's fallen on really hard times, and she's having a difficult adjustment to that end. And of course, Blanchett is great. She's always great, but so are Sally Hawkins and even Andrew Dice Clay. Yeah, that guy. You know, few writers, male or female, get female characters quite right, like Woody Allen does at the peak of his powers. This one's pretty close to his peak. Blue Jasmine is available now on Netflix. Now let's get to this week's HitCast interview. Balthazar Kamakar is obsessed with nailing the essential details on the big screen. He'll go wherever it takes to get the story right, even if it means a harrowing shoot for the adventure film Everest. Now he's back on open waters with a drift, showing Shailene Woodley and Sam Claflin. This is a recreation of a true story that's pretty amazing, and if you don't know what happens, don't Google it until you see it. Save yourself a surprise. There's lots of good twists and turns here, and if you read the true story, you may get too much information. So go see the film, and then maybe check out what really happened and the behind-the-scenes of the tale. Now, what I liked about this particular film is that it's not just a survival tale starring two people on a boat trying to get rescued. It's also a love story, and I think that's the most intriguing part of this whole tale. Baltazar shares his process, why he took a very dangerous turn with the production, and much more in the latest HitCast interview. Well, first of all, thanks for joining the show. You know, one of the many things I really enjoyed about Adrift is the sense of restraint in the movie. You know, the dangers are real, the conditions are brutal, obviously. But as a viewer, I didn't feel like you were goosing the tension in any sort of artificial way. So I just want to talk, maybe you can explain a little bit about your approach to the film's tone, because I thought it was really kind of dead on. Well, that's very nice of you to, to, to address that, because that's actually was very important to me. I didn't want to put any shots or, or, or fake tension, as you say. I think the ocean itself, just by building it slowly up uh, through the characters and to the silence and to the creaking of, of the boat and, and just using the elements I had to make it. And I believe actually, I, I'm a firm believer that that when you get people to believe the situation you are in, you will, uh, the stakes and, 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 and the tension will go up. Mm-hmm. So so that's, and, and also just the feel of, that was so important to me to shoot it in the real conditions because then the feel of it becomes real and the stakes of it become real. And I think that's that's what I was really hope you know, you know, kinda of hoping to achieve. And also, you know, just silence can be as, you know, as scary or more scary than than, than noise, you know. Mm-hmm. And and the unknown also. I see when you're in the water by not seeing a shark, you kind of or something. You know how the feeling when you're swimming out in the ocean and you've gone too far and you just what what the hell is underneath me, you know? Uh-huh. And I think uh, that's that's a feeling that I, I you know I I wanted to capture you know. Gotcha. Uh, now the bulk of the film I had read as much as ninety percent, if not more, was shot in open water. Was that uh, was the attempted to kind of maybe change change course at some point, or was that always sort of the method? And, and no matter what what the uh, maybe the insurance folks said, this is this is what you stuck to. 
that was my because I brought the the project to the studio, to STX, and 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 they 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 loved the idea of doing this, and it was from the beginning for me it was the only choice. So either you do it that way, or we're not doing it. Of course, there came moments. When people got nervous and you know, like we're getting closer to production, and you know, you know, all people start seeing all the, all the the obstacles and the issues, and you know, and even suggesting you know, do it all in our tank or green screen. But for me, that it's just, it's not the same thing, you know. Mm-hmm. And 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 I knew that wouldn't deliver me the same result, neither visually nor with the actors, you know. Mm-hmm. And and I think, I mean, we spend six weeks on the open water, for, you know, fourteen hours a day, and it starts to show on people and it starts to get real, you know, and, and, and I think that was an essential part. I'm a sailor myself, you know, so uh, I was a, a competitive sailor when I was a, a young man. And, uh, and so the sea is, is not something that I fear or, or, or can, you know, can deal with, but it's something I love. And actually the obstacles of it create what I was looking for, you know, instead of having to, to make it up. And, you know, even just the waves in the tank, they, they're not real because they, they're like echo. They, mm-hmm. they hit one side of the, of the tank and they come back and, and hit the waves coming close. It become like a little splutter, you know, so there are no swells. And, 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 and so, so there was, I mean, there was never even an option for me, but yeah, mm-hmm. but, but yes, it did, it did take some convincing and, and you know, luckily we actually—I um, I've never seen a happier studio when we actually brought it in on time. Because for me, if you are if you if you are ready to to basically uh, you know work with Mother Nature, bow your head to her and listen to her and take what she gives you, you should give it all to you in the end. You know, you just have to be able to adapt. It won't be when you expect it. You can oh, I would love to have sunny and and you know, kind of a flat water. No, it's not going to be like that. But when it comes be ready to shoot it, you know. Mm-hmm. So so I, I I made my whole crew kind of be ready. We might change scenes with, with no notice, you know. And of course there's a it's a challenge with the makeup, but apart from that, you know, because I had you know ninety percent of the movie is two actors, so it's easier to, to address it in that way. So that was one of the reasons why I was was pretty confident we could do it. Uh, Shailene Woodley, just kind of watching her on screen and reading interviews with her, she seems like a very collaborative actress, and obviously she's a producer here as well. Uh, talk about working with her. Was she kind of the kind of actress who kind of goes above and beyond and maybe contributes more or makes more suggestions or just sort of really gets her hands dirty, so to speak? Absolutely. <clears throat> and I've said, in some ways, she's probably one of the best experiences I had with an actor, you know. And you never know when you're going in, but I did believe, you know, and it was very uh, important for me casting. Both, you know, she has this West Coast girl energy. She's very authentic emotionally, and she's a great actress. And I, I see her first and foremost as a character, you know, a headstrong young woman, you know. That's what, you know, the kind of the idea she gives me. So, but starting to work with her, she came month, uh, like a month earlier into down to Fiji to work with me and she was training sailing every day and then every evening we'd sit down and we'd go through the scenes and, 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 and work on them and, and, you know, get it. I also wanted like a voice of a young woman in the room, you know, because, you know, that's, uh, you have to know your limitations, you know, and, and to get her perspective on, on things and discuss them was very helpful for me as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, one of the things that I kind of bemoan about movies today is that we don't see a lot of romances on the big screen. Uh, you know, rom-coms are 
seem like they're not as popular as they once were. Even straightforward romances aren't as aren't as common. This is a a true screen romance, and and talk about that and 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 kind of balancing that element with the tension because they're both critical. They're both uh, I think you know they play off each other, but uh, I I didn't quite expect how much I'd feel for the characters as much as I did when I saw the film. Well, that's great to hear because that's actually my intention, and 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 I I, I tell you I have I along with the same mind, you know I have not come across a love story. I've been in love for twenty years with my wife, you know. And I have not come across a love story that I connect with, you know, uh, most of them are rom-coms or something, and it's not what I'm interested in. So when I come across, came across this, you know, uh, yeah, there were some tonal changes I needed to do, but just the idea of telling a love story uh, and, and, uh, against a survival story and the nature becomes the obstacle was very, very tempting to me. And, and, and really what, uh, the, the why is because by having those this levity and space for them to see them get to know each other, play off each other, I think the tension of the second part or like or the other part of the movie, which is kind of a, the, the the real time, called the, the, the love story more in the past, it becomes more tense because you are more invested in the, in the characters. So it actually becomes a character journey as much as a survival story between those two people. And, 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 you know, everyone who has been in a long-term relationship knows that there are, there's the best of times and wonderful times and there are the more, more difficult times, you know. It's kind of before and after the storm, you know. <laughs> and, 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 and I like that as a little metaphor as well, you know. And, of mm-hmm. course, there's a lot of hidden things in the story which you learn, and that's why I also like one story informing the other. And I had, I mean, I, <clears throat> the, the survival stories I've made up to now, they're all kind of, what has happened in the elements of the linear. And I liked this because it is all told from Shailene's character, Tammy's uh, perspective. <clears throat> you start on the ocean, 1,500 miles away from any land. There's a girl stuck in the galley of a boat. And she gets out there and we realize, you know, you go from one shot from, from claustrophobia to agrophobia, you know, in, in the first shot. You put two questions uh, towards the audience, and this is what the movie is. It took me a little time to find it, but this is what the movie is about. It wasn't like that first in the script. Is that the first question is, how the hell did she get there, and why is she alone there, and how how is she going to get back? Okay, she's so shouting a man's name, and now we will learn how she got there, and how she got herself into this position, and how she's going to get herself out of it. And I think, you know, and, and one story is informing the other. There's also, you see the boat for the first time when the old people show it intact. You can see in that boat and it's like, wow, that's the same boat, you know, that he's been sailing with, you know, like a, a totally uh, a trust uh, in the heap, you know. Mm-hmm. So so all, all these elements, I, I just, and I'm, I'm, I'm allowing the audience to, 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 to rest a little bit from, the survival element of it, I thought was very, very, you know, uh, kind of rewarding, you know, for the for the for the whole movie. And also the fact, okay. the fact which I don't want to reveal because we're doing, uh, you know, like it is all based on her emotions, you know. And, and if you read her book, you'll see where you know the the the, the story device kind of is, is taken from. 
I understood that during the shoot you had to deal with some bull sharks, which sounds like a, a bit of a nightmare. Can you talk a little bit how that happened and how you were able to kind of deal with that specific well, I, incident? Yeah, well, that, that story spun out of a, <laughs> out of a, you know, it, it was, it was. Well, I went swimming with sharks before, you know, okay. the, the shoot, and there were like fifty bull sharks around me, you know, which I realized, uh, you know, the full the sea is full of them. But they, they we, we never saw them on the set. Okay. You know, that, 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 that's something that got, got, got misunderstood. Okay. I, but I, I said in jokingly that I never told Shailene about the fact that there were, the ocean was full of sharks there. We never discussed that. But we also had a divers around it because he did all the underwater stuff, mm-hmm. you know, uh, and, 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 and under the boat. It's all done in the ocean, nothing in the tank. So, so uh, we didn't have that. You know, we didn't talk very much about that. There were quite a few shacks around. Okay. Uh, you know, when you make a movie like this and you're using the elements, I'm sure there are times where you have to kind of improvise or maybe the elements push you in a certain direction creatively you didn't expect. Were there moments like that that actually were kind of happy accents where the story got better or got deeper or richer because you had to kind of work with what you had in front of you? I think every day, you know, in some way, you know, because because you have to work with what you got, and then then that becomes a part of you know what you're playing on, you know. And I, I, you know, there there isn't, you know, the, and, and the, your imagination. I love the fact, and I also love this with, when you deal with actors that you have to deal, and and I think art, you know, is created in those environments, not only in your you know, in your brain and, and, and like a mastermind of, of things. I love the fact that you meet this actor, you you he will bring this to the project, the DP will bring this and become you know, if you're open to, 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 to getting with the best out of everyone, you might you know, something great might happen. And I love that process, you know. And and, and that's that's what is happening with the What we had actually I didn't use it in the movie, but we are there was a scene we were shooting that Suddenly, dolphins came and started jumping around us. So of course, we tried to shoot them, and, and we did. But in the end, I didn't. You know, actually, I felt it was almost too too much. You know, so so so. But you know, there there were things like that happening. You know, quite quite often. Right. Well, one last question before we let you go. Uh, obviously, you work with 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 films and filmmaking uh, in your native Iceland, and you're doing some Hollywood work as well. Is it the kind of pattern you kind of hope to continue, kind of doing a little bit here, a little bit there, and getting the best of both worlds? Or combining it more, you know, and, and and in those stories, you know, like I I I think there isn't a, the distinction between Hollywood and the rest of the filmmaking isn't as much today as it was, as financing is much more global and and has changed, and whether I make whether I mean I I don't mind any movie I make I I want a big distribution company to take it out, you know, so in the end it's more about the distribution because mm-hmm. of the way movies finance. You know, it's, it's, it's totally different. So, but I'm working a lot from from my country, and I'm, I built a soundstage. We just opened that. I have a running television show that is, it goes all around the world called Trapped. You know, so I, you know, I'm 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 you know producing other other directors, uh, you know, first time movies, and and you know, so I'm I'm trying to to make it mean more to me by by participating in you know in my own country and my own culture to bring that you know forward also. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Well, good luck with, with that, and I'm looking forward to people seeing Adrift. Thank you, Baltazar, for joining the show. Adrift is out in theaters now. If you need a break from all those blockbuster movies, this is smaller, more intimate, but just as entertaining and a really touching love story, too. All the best, and uh, we hope to speak to you again about uh, future projects. Thank you so much. I appreciate Thanks. it.
Well, thanks again for listening. Don't forget to check out HollywoodandToto.com for both the show notes and, of course, the latest entertainment news. Please follow me at Twitter at HollywoodandToto. And we'd love it if you leave a podcast review over at iTunes. See you next week. The Medicare annual election period deadline is coming soon. I'm Meredith Vieira, here with examples of people who found the key to the right coverage at MyHealthPolicy.com. Meet Larry. He likes doing things online. I took my time and found the best Medicare Advantage plan for me at MyHealthPolicy.com. Next is Mary. When she wanted answers, she picked up the phone. I wanted a local perspective on plan, so I called MyHealthPolicy.com. And finally, Michael. I prefer face-to-face, so I chose MyHealthPolicy.com and enrolled on the spot. Go to MyHealthPolicy.com to learn about top-rated Medicare Advantage plans in your area, including $0 premium plans, or call 1-800-GO-START. That's 1-800-GO-START. MyHealthPolicy.com. Meredith Vieira is a paid endorser. KF Agency operates MyHealthPolicy.com, not connected with or endorsed by the U.S. government or the federal Medicare program. A licensed insurance agent may call. The Medicare annual election period deadline is almost here. I'm Meredith Vieira, here with examples of people who started their search for coverage at MyHealthPolicy.com. Meet Larry. He likes doing things online, so he started at MyHealthPolicy.com. I took my time and found the coverage I was looking for, and done. Next is Mary. When she wanted answers, she picked up the phone. I wanted a local perspective on plans, so I called MyHealthPolicy.com and done. Switched to a better plan. And Michael. I met with a local licensed insurance agent face-to-face and done. Go to MyHealthPolicy.com to compare top-rated Medicare Advantage plans in your area, including $0 premium plans, or call 1-800-GO-START. That's 1-800-GO-START. Meredith Vieira is a paid endorser. KF Agency operates MyHealthPolicy.com, not connected with or endorsed by the U.S. government or the federal Medicare program. A licensed insurance agent may call.